Hey, this is Pastor Matt Zola from Fern Creek Christian Church. So glad you're able to tune in with us today. Hey, while you're on your phone, why don't you follow us on social media at Fern Creek CC on Facebook and Instagram and download the Fern Creek Christian Church app today because we want to stay connected with you throughout your week. We hope this message encourages you to become a better follower of Jesus. So without further ado, here's the message. Deep in the backwoods, backwaters of Cajun country lived a fella named Jacques. And once a year, Jacques would leave the swamp and he would travel into town. And he'd only do it once a year. So it came his yearly time to wander into town and he walked into a hardware store. And on the back shelf, he took a look at a thermos bottle. Now, having never in his life seen a thermos bottle, he said to the clerk, what that is back there on that shelf? Well, the clerk, who was Cajun himself, said, that there is a thermos bottle. And Jacques said, what it does, a thermos bottle? And he said, oh, man, that thermos bottle is a miracle. It keeps hot things hot and cold things cold. Who day, said Jacques. I'll take me a thermos bottle. So he bought the thermos. Goes back to the swamp. Next day, he's out fishing with his best friend, Ollie. Pulls out the thermos bottle, and Ollie, who had never seen a thermos bottle in his life, said, Jacques, what that is? And Jacques said, oh, man, that is a thermos bottle, Ollie. Ollie said, what it does? Ooh, day, that thermos is a miracle. It keeps hot things hot and cold things cold. Well, what you got in there? Jacques said, I got in there three cup of coffee and two popsicle. I'm in town all week. You know, I, I think Jacques was a little confused about what the thermos bottle does. Have you ever been confused? I, you know, I, I've been confused about a lot of things. Early in my walk with Jesus, there were some spiritual things that I hadn't fleshed out in my mind that I was a little confused about. One of them was how God uses people. Now, I, I've always believed that God loves people. He's God. But, but, but I was confused at how does God actually use people. I, I, I thought that God could really only use you if you had it all together. Like, you know, like you, you were a Bible scholar, like you didn't struggle with anything, you had your act all figured out, like you never, you never dealt with any doubts, um, you never got a technical foul while wearing your worship jersey, um, you, you know, you, you just always did the right thing. That, that's how, that, that's the kind of people that God used. And I always looked at my life and I looked at my failures and my history and I thought, how could God ever use a third stringer like me? Then I came across a guy in the Bible by the name of David. And God showed me something amazing. David wasn't perfect, far from it. Da David lost his temper David had a streak of pride in his heart. He committed adultery. He even had a man killed. But, but, but in spite of that, God forged him. God used him. He developed him into this mighty champion. 
And that gave me great hope, knowing that God can develop a warrior's heart inside of anyone who's open. So for the next nine weeks, we're going to walk with David. We're going to study the life of David. And, and what I want to ask you to do is I want you to bring your Bible. We're going to be studying sections of Scripture together, so I want you to bring your Bible, and you can highlight and take some notes and underline some things. And, 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 and my hope and my prayer is that as we study the life of David, you will learn not just about David, but that you will learn some deep truths about God. So, so as we start this series on David, let me make sure we're all on the same page. The nation of Israel has grown tired of following an invisible God. As they look around at the other nations that, that surround them, all these other nations have a human king who sits on a literal throne. And they began to grumble. Why, why can't we have a king? Why don't we have a man that sits on the throne? And God says to the people, you don't want a human king. A human king will be blinded by pride. A human king is human and will lead you astray. I'm your king. But the people grumble and the people continue to want a human king. And so God says to this prophet named Samuel, go and anoint this guy Saul and give the people what they want. Give them a king. And so Saul becomes Israel's first king. And Saul starts off really well. He loves God, he loves the people, but he's human. And blinded by pride, Saul, on numerous occasions, begins to disobey God. God says, a, do A, and, and Saul runs off and he does B. God says, do B, and Saul runs off and he does A. And then God says, don't, whatever you do, don't do C, and Saul runs off and he does C. And, and what we learn is that God often will forgive disobedience, but he never honors it. When we choose to disobey God, there is always a price to pay. And Saul's price is that God will reject him as king. Now, God will still love Saul. Saul will still be a child of God, but because of his rebellion, because of his sin, God is going to remove him from the throne. That will be his consequence. And there's a lesson there. Sin always carries a cost. So, someone put it this way, sin will take you farther than you want to go. It will keep you longer than you want to stay, and it will cost you more than you ever intend to pay. So, so God says to the prophet Samuel, I have rejected Saul. I want you to go to Bethlehem, and I want you to anoint the next king of Israel. And Samuel says, well, who will it be? And God says, I'll show you when you get there. Just go to the house of Jesse, who lives in Bethlehem, and I'll show you who the next king to anoint will be. So let's take a look, and let's see what the Scripture tells us. Look at 1 Samuel chapter 16 as we begin to meet this man, David. Samuel took one of, so, so, so as he gets to Jesse's house, he says, bring all your sons out. One, you know, in his mind, he, he knows one of them is going to be the next king. So as Jesse brings all of his sons out, this is what we read. Samuel took one look at Eliab, so, so the first son of Jesse. And he said, surely this is the Lord's anointed. But the Lord said to Samuel, don't judge by his appearance. Don't judge by his height. I have rejected him. 
The Lord doesn't see the way you see them. Read this out loud with me. Read it out loud. People judge by the outward appearance, but the Lord... So here, here before we ever even meet David is something that we learn about God. I mean, the, the, the prophet Samuel was about to make the mistake that the people made the first time. When they chose Saul to be king, they chose him because he was taller than everybody else. He was from a wealthy family. So they looked at his outward appearance and they said, that's our man. And Samuel was about to make the same mistake. And God says, listen, you've tried that before. You've got to understand one thing about me. I don't look at the outward appearance. I look at the heart. So listen, being academically intelligent, that's a great thing. Having long flowing locks of hair might be a great thing. Being a good people person might be a great thing. But in the kingdom of God, all the externals are trumped by this, by your heart. So here's my question. How's your heart today? How's your heart? Is your heart cold? Is it closed to God? Or is it on fire for him? Look at Proverbs 4.23. Listen to what we read. Above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. How's your heart? Are you guarding your heart? It's not your mama's job to guard your heart. It's not your wife's job. It's not your husband's job. It's not your church's job. It's not God's job to guard your heart. You are the guardian of your heart. And again, before we're ever introduced to David, we learn something about God. God looks at the heart. And God is looking for men and women whose hearts beat for him whose hearts are open to him, not just on the weekends, not just when you're in trouble, not just when you need something, but God is looking for consistent hearts that are warm and open to him. This is the foundation that all warriors are built on, a heart that beats for God. So Jesse parades seven of his boys out, and each one of them, God says to the prophet, nope, 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 love that one, nope, love that one, nope. And he goes through all seven of those sons. And look at verse 10. Gets to the very end. Are these all the sons you have? There is still, tell me the next two words, the youngest. Now, now we're going to come back to that. They're still the youngest, Jesse replied, but he's out in the fields watching the sheep and the goats. Send for him at once, Samuel said. We will not sit down to eat until he arrives. So Jesse sent for him. He was dark and handsome with beautiful eyes. And the Lord said, this is the one. This is the one. Anoint him. Now, when you go back and you dig a little bit, they go through all those boys, and Samuel's a little confused because he said, the Lord told me that one of these boys is, is the next king. One of them is the one I'm supposed to anoint. And he goes through all of them, and he says, well, the Lord says no to every one of them. There, is this all there is? And Jesse says, no, they're still the youngest. Doesn't even call David by name. 
Doesn't even say, well, my, my son date. No, the youngest. And I, and I stopped there this week, and I'm like, man, he just kind of labels his, his last son, the youngest. L labels, labels stood out to me this week. Maybe you've been labeled in your life. Oh, there's the slacker, the failure, the partier. Oh, there's the one that's a few fries short of a happy meal. I don't know if you've ever been labeled that way, but, but we, we get labeled. Maybe people don't take you seriously. Maybe you've been told you're not smart enough. You're not fast enough. You're not pretty enough. You're not skinny enough. You're not gifted enough. Friends, listen, you know that's how the world works. You know the world sizes people up by the externals. What you do, what you don't do, what I can see. And I'm just here today to remind you, uh, that's the way the world works. The, the, the way the kingdom works is God doesn't look at any of that. And the first thing that God looks at is what's going on inside. So the overlooked, the unnamed, the forgotten one, the youngest, is the one God says, that's, that's my man. That's the next king. So David is called. He's anointed. The prophet pours oil over his head. No doubt to the family what this means. He has just been anointed Israel's next king. Shepherd boy David, the next king of Israel. So Samuel, the prophet, looks around. I've done what God told me to do. Maybe nods, gives David a little fist bump, jumps on his camel or whatever he's riding and heads back home. So what does our teenage king-elect do? Well, we know what he does. He hops on Twitter, and he tweets out, MIGA, making Israel great again. That's what I'm going to do. He takes the horn that Samuel used to anoint him, and he frames it, and he puts it up above the mantle. He runs down to Sam's Swope and buys a convertible candy red chariot and Drives it all through town, announcing that he's the next king. He calls his brothers together, and when they call him David, he says, <clears throat> that's Mr. King-elect to you. No, 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 he doesn't do any of that. Do, do, do you know what he does? He goes back, and he watches his sheep. Goes back to watching sheep. Do, do you know? How long it takes from the moment Samuel anoints David until he takes the throne? You know how long it takes? Turn to your neighbor, tell them how long do you think it takes from the moment he's anointed until the time he sits on the throne. Loser does dishes all week. How long? How long? Turn to, take a little wager, a little friendly wager. Let's see who's closest. All right, you ready? 15 years. 15 years. Takes 22 for all the kingdom, but 15 for the, for the time he gets to the throne. And as I was reading and thinking about that, I think, man, I mean, God never told Samuel the timeline. He never told David he'd have to wait 15 years. And I want to tell you, those 15 years were hard, they were dark, they were incredibly difficult for David. Now, 
For sure, David will defeat Goliath, and we're going to talk about David and Goliath next week. And I want to make sure you're, you will never, you have never heard the story of David and Goliath like we're going to tell it to you next week. So, so there's a high of David defeating Goliath, but when you think about what happens after that, it's all downhill. I mean, David is the hero, and he goes from the hero to the zero. When he, well, after he defeats Goliath, Think about the first job David ever gets. After he kills Goliath, do you know what his first job was? He was the harp boy for the king. Now, now think about that for a second. I mean, the, after he kills Goliath, there's no book tour on how to slay your giants. There's no TED talk. There's no action David figure with kung fu grip. There, there's none of that. He, he comes into the palace and his official job is the harpist for the king. So when people stop him, they say, David, what are you doing now? I play the harp for the king. Now, I had to be disappointing. I, I'm supposed to be the king, and now I'm playing harp for the guy. I mean, he, he will become Saul's armor bearer. He's going to carry the armor of Saul. He's going to have to go into the military. He's going to have to learn how to be a soldier. David will get run out of town by Saul. Saul will be threatened by David. So, man, he, he's going to lose his wife. He's going to lose his privilege. He's going to lose his, lose his status. He's going to live for years out in the desert on the run. And it's right here where we learn as we talk about the heart of a warrior. Here's what we, we, we learn. One of the most single important facets of the heart of a warrior is, is you've got to learn how to trust God. You, you can say you trust him. I can say I trust him. But when my world falls apart, when, when it takes 15 years to get to the throne, will I still trust that God is who he says he is? I mean, think about it. Did David ever say, God, what the grunt? Well, like, I, I'm, you were, I was anointed king. I, I'm, I'm toting his armor when I should be the king. I'm sleeping in a cave when I should be sleeping in the palace. God, what is going on? What are you doing? Why is this happening? So for the next 15 years, David is going to grapple with a question that we all grapple with. Can God be trusted? And you and I will have moments in our life when the same question will plague us, can God be trusted? Maybe it's not a throne that you have been promised. Maybe it's not a palace that you think about sleeping in. Maybe it was a certain person you wanted to marry or you thought you were marrying. Maybe it was a dream job that you had your eye on. Maybe it was children that you adopted and you had this picture. Maybe it was an injustice done to you. Every one of us, when we think about life, and we think about what our life is going to look like, what our life is going to be, we picture this incredible life, this beautiful life. We, th we think about Man, it's going to be awesome. It's going to be incredible. And I, and I can't wait to live. And this is what, I'm, I'm living with God and God's going to bless me and my life is going to be nice and tidy and tight. And then something happens and it breaks. 
And as the pieces of our life break, as we get cancer, as we go through a divorce, as we experience addiction and we lie among the pieces of our life broken, we go, why? I'm sure David said why, and we say why. And as we begin to pick up the broken pieces of our life, we wonder, can God be trusted? My life is not turning out the way I thought it would be. Can God be trusted? The Chinese, Japanese, have, have a, a craft called kintsugi. Kintsugi. K kintsugi is, is something that they've developed where it literally means, kintsugi literally means patched with gold. And in kintsugi, they take the broken pieces of pottery and they have a special tree sap that they mix together and, and, and they, they join the broken pieces back together and they dust it with solid gold. And when the pieces of kintsugi are joined together, it makes the vessel stronger than it originally was, and it brings this, this beauty that it never had. Kitsugi doesn't hide the blemishes. It doesn't hide the scars. It doesn't hide the brokenness. The gold is intertwined with all of that. And when you look at it, it's the gold that, that makes things beautiful. And, and I guess what David had to learn and what you and I have got to learn is, will we allow the healing and the grace and the love of Jesus to meet our disappointments, to meet our brokenness, to meet our scars? And if we allow that that grace and that healing to mix with the blemishes of our life, I really do think it becomes more beautiful. Everybody gets broken. And when you try to piece the broken pieces of life back together, you're not gonna hold. But if God's grace and healing can meet the brokenness of our life, then we become these beautifully cracked vessels that reflect his love, that reflect his grace, that reflect his provision. And it doesn't become about us, it becomes all about him. So for 15 years, David's got to wait. For 15 years, life was anything but expected. For 15 years, there are pieces broken, pieces broken, pieces broken, put back together. And David is being forged. Man, he is being sharpened, redesigned, put back together. He's learning. Can God be trusted? And if you doubt me, listen to Psalm 139 as David reflects on his life. All this stuff that's gone on to him. He says in Psalm, Psalm 13, Psalm 13, 5, he says, I trust. All this stuff has happened, but I trust. In your unfailing love, I will rejoice because you have rescued me. I will sing to the Lord because he is good to me. David will learn, no matter what comes, no matter how deep, how far, how long, God can be trusted. And I know, 
I know there's some of you sitting out there today and life has taken you to dark, dark places. Life has taken you to hard, hard places. I don't know why your spouse left. I don't know why you're dealing with cancer. I don't know why you were taken advantage of. I don't know why God's not brought healing. I don't know why the dream hasn't materialized. There is mystery about life that no one can solve, no one can answer. The question is, will you still trust him? Will you still trust he is a good father? and that he's got his eye and his hand on you? Do I believe that God can take the broken pieces of my life, the broken pieces, the broken promises, the broken heart, the disappointment, the pain? Can he use the ache? Can he, can he take all of that and wrap his grace, wrap his love, wrap his healing, and mix it in like the gold? And bring those pieces back to my life, reflecting all that he's done for me, making my life a reflection of his love and his beauty and his grace. In 1932, A.M. Overton was the pastor of a Mississippi church. He had a wife and three small children, and his wife was pregnant with their fourth child. And when it came time for the delivery, they were, there were complications and the baby died, and his wife died. And during the funeral service, the preacher that was officiating the service noticed that Overton was writing. As he was preaching, Overton was writing, and he thought he was taking notes of his message. He thought, how bizarre, a husband taking notes at the funeral message of his wife and his little baby. And at the end, he said, Pastor Overton, what, what were you writing? And Overton handed him poem that he had written. My father's way may twist and turn, my heart may throb and ache, but in my soul I'm glad to know he maketh no mistake. My cherished plans may go astray, my hopes may fade away, but still I'll trust my Lord to lead, for he doth know the way. Though night be dark and it may seem that day will never break, I'll pin my faith, my all on him. He maketh no mistake. There's so much now I cannot see. My eyesight's far too dim. But come what may, I'll simply trust and leave it all to him. For by and by the mist will lift. And plain it all he'll make. Though all the way was dark to me, he made not one mistake. David teaches us in this very first moment we meet him that warriors are forged from the inside out. God is looking for men and women whose hearts are open, whose hearts are pliable, no matter how long, how far, how bumpy the road may be, he's looking for hearts that will trust. So would you close your eyes? Just close your eyes. And would you whisper a four-word prayer? I, 
I'm going to have you repeat it softly after me. It might be easy for you to repeat. It might be hard for you to repeat. You might not even be ready to repeat it. And if you're not ready to repeat it, then don't whisper it. But if you believe God is good, if you can believe he can put broken pieces back together, I want you to repeat this after me. Father, I trust you. Father, I trust you. Father, I trust you. Let me close this in prayer. Well, thanks again for tuning in. I hope that message encouraged you to love, live, and lead like Jesus, to become a disciple that makes more disciples. That is why Fern Creek Christian Church exists. Hey, while you're already on your mobile device, why don't you go to Apple Store or Google Play and download the Fern Creek Christian Church app today. On the app, you'll be able to see other podcasts we have, just like this one. You'll be able to stay up to date on Fern Creek Christian Church news and announcements, and you'll see events and the church calendar throughout the year. Man, you need to download this app today. I'm serious. Go do it. Hey, I want to take a second to invite you to worship with us on Sunday mornings, either online or in person. We have three services, one at 845 that we call our homecoming service. That features more hymns and southern gospel music. But then we also have two contemporary services at 10 and 1115. If you would like to give to the ministry happening here at Fern Creek, I want you to go online to our website, www.ferncreekcc.org and click on the big giving tab you'll see on our main page. If you would like to talk more about the message you just heard or you would like to pray with somebody, call us at 502-239-9300. Again, that's 502-239-9300 or email us at office at ferncreekcc.org. Well, if you're not already a member at Fern Creek Christian Church, we want this place to become your home. So with that, hope you have a blessed rest of your week. Grace, peace. See you next time, church.